Say That, the podcast where your questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here from his own socially distanced home, the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. We're back. I assume you guys just didn't do the show at all while I was gone. Of course. Well, we put out an hour of blank audio. Oh, okay. That's good. Kind of a placeholder situation. Sure. In memoriam. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of a seat for Elijah. Yeah. But in waveform. Very appropriate. Also joining us, Director of Mission USA, Produ- Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. We phoned it in so hard, it was, this, it was as if there were no episodes. So yes, it's good to be back. That's a very fair assessment. Joining us all the way from Oak Church, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Now that Glenn's ma- or now that Matt has made a Seder reference, I'm just going to be hearing like the you know all of our longing for the quarantine to be over and just next year at Glenn's house. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's exactly, exactly appropriate. Speaking of appropriateness, I have to declare an inappropriateness emergency. Whoa. Whoa. So, uh, as I don't know if everyone keeps up with the pop music and what's going on and the the billboard, the the top 40, the Casey Kasem, I assume he's still on the air. That's how plugged into the pop music scene I am. I assume it's just old clips of Scooby-Doo episodes he was in, and they stitch them together and put them on the airways every week. But one um, a tradition unlike any other with uh, pop culture phenomenons is Christians, particularly Christians online and maybe your pastors or people who make the, the church sign, whoever's in charge of that, um, totally misunderstanding or not knowing what the pop culture phenomenon is. Yeah. But wanting to kind of spin it for their own nefarious purposes. So, you know, we're all familiar with the Jesus juke, with these kind of things, with, you know, um, it's not about, you know, the big house, it's about his house, these these kind of things, where they don't really know what they're referencing. A breadcrumb and fish, as as Jed has pointed out in the past. Absolutely. That's a very good example. Are you spending time in Facebook or his book. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very yes. good. However, that one, annoying as it was in 2008, turned out to be prescient because, man, do Christians need to spend less time on Facebook. Man, you ain't kidding. <laughs> that would solve a lot of problems. But, I don't, again, I don't know. In the world of music, there's been a very, very popular tune recently. It was Billboard number one. It, I believe, like, the, broke the record for quickest to 10 million streams or something like that. Like, just... Everywhere you open up your Instagram, your TikTok, it's uh, people are doing things to it. Uh, the dances, the lip syncs, whatnot. Um, I've not heard the the song myself because I don't care for music. Um, I prefer uh, I I tapped out at Gregorian chants. Once you once things stopped being modal, I was out. Literally, literally uh, a, a couple of months back, I saw Matt's wife posting an Instagram story of the man YouTubing a Shakespearean play. That's true. Wow. Yeah. And like a like a like a bootleg of an actor only <laughs> Lee and I ever heard of called Mark Rylance. That's doing... right. And it was like it was like that 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 aunt at a wedding who is filming the whole thing on her iPad. Yeah. It was like that version of the play of Mark Rylance doing the doing the Henry V. Yeah. So I only listen to soliloquies for my entertainment, but <laughs> in many ways, hip hop is like the modern Shakespeare, if you believe freshman English teachers. Across the country. (laughs) But what we've we've had is an incredibly popular tune that is a three-letter acronym. Okay. Mm. And we know 
that pastors and church folk love a nice acronym they can put some stuff to, and they love things that come in threes. So uh, my supposition here is that there's going to be a rash of people across this nation who have no idea what WAP means in the context of the Cardi B song, but who think, I can make a church sign out of that. Yep. So the obvious one, and we we all think of some, the obvious one is, you know, you know, uh, community Christian church coming at 10 a.m. for some WAP worship and prayer. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Matt, at the, uh, the church where I grew up, it was uh, WAP would be uh, witnessing and prudishness. Oh, oh that's very wow. nice. You, you have to witness to all your unsaved friends and you have to be a prude. And so that's really where we would kick off with that. <laughs> Yeah, I like that a lot. I did think of another Southern Baptist version being uh, Wrath and Punishment. Oh, mm. that is excellent. Yeah. Yes. That's that, what we're here for, really. In a that's lot of how ways. you really get the legalism going on that right there. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the one that's really just burrowed into my brain that I can't get over, is a, a Christian radio station, a Moody Radio, a K-Love or something, running the following promo. We don't play Cardi B. But you can tune in every day for the real WAP, wisdom, and peace. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know someone at K-Love is writing that right now, and we hope it doesn't yeah. make it to air. If, if they cared about wisdom and peace, they definitely would have already done that. I think it's generally just uplifting, encouraging K-Love. That's, so <laughs> yeah. if they actually cared about something as good as the wisdom and the peace. Well, look, fellas, uh, had had Matt not forwarded me a link just prior to us, re- you know, starting the recording, I would have no idea what we're talking about. But I I got the link, which is to a song that Jed has uh, um, that Matt has not heard, as he previously stated. Nope, didn't even hear it for the link. Uh, but I I played it. Of course, I you know I was uh, you know suitably uh, offended and shocked and and against it. You're against and, many things, as I understand it. Yes, uh, wh- whatever it is, you know, uh, I you can tell how Christian I am by how much I'm against things. That's wow. <laughs> He is so Christian, guys. I am against almost everything, and that's exactly how holy I am. <laughs> wow. It's really quite something. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it, let's have a fun experiment where, um, where people just do what they want to do, and it's maybe a little not uh, the most appropriate for like small children or something, but then everyone else says, oh, "Okay, just see what happens with that." Glenn, I don't understand those words. Like, if someone doesn't li- like it in this current media ecosystem, they have almost unlimited other options. Yeah, like you know, if you like it, you can listen to it. But if you don't, you cannot. But Glenn, there's so much grace involved in what you're saying. Well, you know, I look, here's what, here's what it is, fellas, is if you know me, the people who do know me are aware that I obnoxiously insist on what they should enjoy. 
if there is a movie that they haven't seen that I like, I, I, I'm very close to not speaking to Halle Brewer because she has not seen the Blues Brothers movie, which is the <laughs> finest movie ever made by man. Now, she knows this, and she is specifically not going to watch that movie just to watch me get into a tiny ball of rage. <laughs> this is the way that I am, but I'm aware it's it's wrong and petulant and stupid, and I would not really try and put it forth as a serious response to world events. I, I think that's very evolved, uh, very, very fair. But how is that going to get the, uh, the YouTube engagement that a white dude reading the lyrics, <laughs> but not the one word he refuses to say, gets <laughs> real thing a media personality did? Wow. Mm. I like the... Uh... I like the idea of pendulum swinging all the way away from Glenn's grace-filled speech there with the idea of kind of a legalistic Jed wearing a T-shirt that has the the letters, but it stands for works allows paradise. Oh, Oh, that is awesome. Yes. Here's my other pitch for I think this would be a very legalistic Jed thing. Wild about propitiation. I know some Presbyterians that would love that one. Bless their heart. That's great. Or just those, you know, those T-shirts that have like the four names of like, yeah, just the names of a like character names of a book you like or a show you like, and you know, so uh, a guy like Legalistic Jed could be declaring the only books I read are by guys like Wilberforce and Piper. Ooh. You're just declaring your allegiance oh. to the Ooh, authors that's you love. Very good. That's very good. There is someone. We're going to step outside the bit here because there is someone in this world who has that shirt and it says <laughs> like Packer and Piper and two other like Presbyterian authors. And I'm sad right. now. <laughs> and yeah. Keller. Yeah. And, it is. yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I think I've got a version of of WAP that can get certainly um, all the church leaders on board. Mm. Nice. Will it? Will it? So to speak, bring them all to the yard. It. It will. It will. Oh, okay. Absolutely. I think Glenn kept that YouTube playlist going. <laughs> totally. It's time for WAP Week at First Community Church, where mm. we appreciate Pastor. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. You can, you a, can get some takers on that. Oh, you know, no question. I'm just saying, let's uh, let's just decide. Let's, let's decide. We just don't want to spoil other people enjoying things. Glenn, my only actual joy in life at this point is contributing to the suffering of others. Like, if I'm not directly <laughs> causing a distressed emotional state, I'm no longer able to experience any form of pleasure. So I right. don't really know how to meet in the middle on this one. Well, you're saying you you derive the only thing that makes your life worth living is triggering rage in other people. Yeah, I like to use the term owning them. Sometimes I use oh. a P instead of the O. But yeah, oh. that's that's pretty much my jammy jam. But but that that's very sad. It's very Christian, Glenn. Yeah, I oh. personally am so Christian. I don't uh, believe in or trust the idea of joy anymore. 
<laughs> I think it brings someone joy. It's inherently suspect and must yeah. be snuffed out. It's a little dangerous. You can't trust it. <laughs> well, as we close this out, I have I have what I think is the capstone of this idea in my mind. If you guys have any more in the chamber, feel free to get them out. But because um, we know the Christians love above all things, referencing C.S. Lewis. Yes. Yes. Mm. So here's what I'm pitching: is we bring these two things together. And we have already kind of a three-prong name in the, his, what, probably his most famous fiction book, anyway, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I think we rename Witch Aslan Pevensies oh, and put wow. it out as Narnia <laughs> Womp <laughs> Edition. Oh, yes. That is for the win, bro. That is good. <laughs> that is either the biggest laugh or the most sincere anger many of our listeners have ever felt <laughs> at anything said on this show. And that is definitely the note on which we like to declare emergency off. Well Hallelujah. done. Lovely. In, we are all, we all need to say we have all been very against this whole thing. Sure. I was never here. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm too. against most things we say on this show, but not bridge box. All four of the bridge box. If you want to sign totally. up for missionusa.com slash bridge box, we've got a fresh edition that came out just this Tuesday where our topic this week is all about how to get back up how to overcome some obstacles, get back on track, all sorts of good stuff, songs, sermons, Bible studies, and the lot over at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. If you'd like to get involved, only $8 a month. What's totally free is you can join us for our live bridge cast every week. 7.30 p.m. Central at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. And if you can't catch it live with us, you can find all of the live BridgeCast archive at the Videos tab over at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. Woohoo, indeed. We're going to jump to our first question here. It has all the way to the end. I use some ways to get in touch with this. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says, Hello, Say That host. Thank you so much for sharing about grief last episode. When Lee talked about his parents' divorce, it truly hit home. I just found out a few weeks ago that my parents are getting separated and my head is spinning. Do you have any extra tips about walking through the season? I'm an adult and live away from home, but I'm trying to navigate being a good child, being appropriate to both parents, while supportive to both as well. And an excellent question. We, uh, we always encourage follow-up questions. We always uh, are honored when we get questions about real tough things that are going on in people's lives. So we're, we're glad for the question and we're glad to offer you what we can. And Lee, why don't you start us off on this one? I would love to. I, I want to echo what Matt said. We always, always love the follow-up questions. We we feel honored to be trusted with your story. Know that we're going to be praying for you um, and uh, that we care about what you're walking through. And I'm so sorry that you're having to do this. Um, this is not the way you wanted the story to go. It's not the news that you wanted to hear. I know that uh, that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you first hear the news of how could this happen and how could this happen to us? And, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> it feels like a thing from your parents' perspective. That's just about them. And yet it really like it, it, it hits you in a big way. It, it involves what you're about. Um, I would give you two major words. Um, when, when I think, especially when I think back to when I was first going through, kind of my parents splitting up, the two words that helped me the most were the words grace and boundaries. What I mean by that is this. Um, Number one is you need to have a lot of grace over yourself 
in the way that you respond to this. There is a thing that happens uh, to the kids of divorced parents or kids of parents that are starting to split up where they blame themselves they um, and they measure themselves. They look at their siblings and there's kind of like a race on who is handling the, this the best with mom and dad and that kind of stuff. And what you need to know is your response to this is not on trial. That's thing number mm-hmm. one. The way that you're going through this and walking through this, nobody has the right to say, uh, you get kind of a C plus on this and you know, your sister's got a B plus And then this other brother over here, he's just knocking out of the park straight A's. Um, that is not a thing. Um, you are honestly, you're in a situation where, uh, like an actual foundational aspect of your reality has just been rocked and you are going to feel a lot of things. And it is completely appropriate for you to not know where you are on that, to not know how you feel about it, to, to be, to have 10 emotions at the exact same time, to have those fluctuating left, right, all over the place. And you are not like your response to this is not the thing that anybody gets to measure right now. I don't want you to judge your own emotions about it. And you need to make sure that you're not listening to anybody else who wants to put some judgment in your face about that. We need to have total grace on you over this situation. Really, it's, it's, it's really kind of an unjust situation that you've been forced into. You didn't choose this. You didn't ask for it. You didn't cause it. And you are not on trial here. Those are things that you need to remind yourself of a lot of the times. The second thing I would say is boundaries. Um, this does not come easy for folks. Some, some parents uh, who are getting split up have a really good sense of boundaries and they communicate things very well. Others do not. What I'm specifically referring to here is your parents, as they walk through this difficult time, they need to have their own friends, their own peers, their own counselors, their own pastors, their own people to talk to about their relationship issues with their, with their former spouse. They do not need to involve you in that. You do not need to be a referee making calls on whose side to take or anything like that. And if your parents don't have those boundaries clearly established, then you're going to have to be the one to set those boundaries. Let me tell you this from the outset. That is not a fun thing to do. You're not going to enjoy that piece. It's not going to come easy to you. And But I, in, in my situation, I had to do that. I had to say, hey, listen, I am not going to be the person making the call on this. I do not need to be in this piece of this. I love you, and I love you, and I do not want the full download of who did what and who said what so that I can make some call over who's right or who's wrong. That's, that's not the role I want. All that to say, with boundaries in a situation like this, you have absolutely the right to make your role in this very clear. And you do not ha- need to be the arbiter or the mediator or the referee. So you need to have a lot of grace over yourself as you walk through this and how you feel. Um, you're going to have wild feelings all the time. And we don't need to judge that. And anybody else that's got some judgment over that, you don't need to listen to them. They don't have a point. And you need to make clear boundaries over what your role is in this as, a, as an adult child of what your parents are going through. And if they won't make the call, you're going to have to do it. That is an excellent place to start. I think that's, that's all super critical stuff. Very, very well put. Jed, I'd love you to pick us up there on the idea of a role and having boundaries. Because as, as Lee puts out, those are both really critical things. 
And they, I think they're going to play off each other. It's way easier to have boundaries in a situation when you've decided what your role is going to be, because that helps you decide when someone's asking you to do something that is not your role. So what might that look like in this situation? That's a great question. I uh, 100% agree with everything that Lee has said. I just want to build on that. Uh, I think that you will be well served to think in advance, basically starting now, about what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Uh, the the roles that you're willing to play and the roles that you're not willing to play. So, for example, um, maybe your dad is moving out of the house, right? So one role is moving assistant, and that may be a role that you're willing to play. That may be a role that makes sense. As Lee brought up, um, relationship counselor is a different role and is almost certainly one that you should not in any way be playing, um, you know, you may be willing and able to play the role of someone who's who's prepared to just spend time where we can do something fun and not think about divorce-related things, which undoubtedly both of your parents need. And that's a thing that you can do. It, it may or may not be a good fit in this situation, but it's something that you can do. Uh, by contrast, um, when people go through a breakup, and this this is a breakup, I think for a lot of people, they need a buddy that they can talk to and kind of trash their ex together, right? Like, can you believe how terrible they are? And we all kind of know that that's not representative of reality. It's just, it's it's a therapeutic thing we've got to work through. But there's almost no situation where you should be that buddy for either of your parents. So you can be the buddy where we go and do something fun that, ha- and we don't think about marriage related stuff or divorce related stuff, but you definitely should not be the buddy where we talk about how terrible mom is or how terrible dad is. That's, um, you know, one of these is something that I think you could probably give and, and give fairly joyfully. The other would be a really, really bad fit, even though, um, both the let's trash the ex buddy and the relational counselor and whatnot, those are roles that your parents actually probably do need in their lives they just shouldn't be coming from you because um, that's that's not fair to you. There's no way for you to be objective about that. The one other thing that I would want to add in, and it goes right along with the stuff that Lee's describing, is this. Is this would be a good moment to evaluate the roles that you have been playing and decide if you want to change some of those roles. Yeah. Um, I don't know your family and I don't know your situation. But particularly in families that are fairly insular, it is, it, at least in, in what I've seen, I don't think it's uncommon for parents to kind of rely on children as they get older as kind of proxy relationship counselors. There's quite a bit of that that happens, and it's not a super great idea. But here's the thing is, even if that's been true for you, you can decide that that changes right now. Even if, for example, your mom has kind of relied on you as someone that she can, you know, talk about her frustrations with your dad. You can decide that starting now we're not doing that anymore. That is your right. That would almost certainly be a healthy decision. And here's the thing. I imagine that there's part of your brain that says, look, this is such a tough time for mom or such a tough time for dad. Surely I can suck it up and be a team player for just a little bit longer and, you know, then down the road, we'll, we'll figure this out and whatnot. And there, that's a thought that if you have it, it comes from a place of compassion. That's not going to work very well. This is a moment of transition, and it's a really good moment, not only to set boundaries, but to set new boundaries. And to say, the fact that we've done it way X before doesn't mean we have to do it that way anymore. 
That's not you being unkind to either one of your parents. That's not you being selfish. That's actually the best thing for both of them. Um, to the extent that they don't have their own friendships and their own uh, relationships, as Lee described, they need to build those. Um, to the extent that they don't have um, qualified relationship counselors, they need to go find those. And you providing them with a proxy version of that that's not really appropriate and that you, for all kinds of reasons, can't really be expected to to really do is not fair to them and not fair to you. So this is one of those scenarios where we need to be firm in order to be kind, set those boundaries, figure out what roles we are and are not willing to play, and then move forward from there. That is also really excellent stuff. I love the way that builds on what Lee gave us to start off with. And Glenn, let me to get you to pick us up here because I think Lee and Jed have done such an amazing job talking about what's going to be that external journey. You have these relationships with other people that need to be picked up, but there's also going to be some, and it's going to play into this, there's now an internal journey you need to deal with that up until now, a fact of your life has always been your parents were married. And now you have not that, and that's going to come up in some ways that you probably need to be prepared to deal with. That's going to affect the way you interact with your parents, right? That's absolutely right. I mean, uh, uh, my parents, similar to your story, my parents got uh, divorced when I was an adult. I was grown. I was out of the house, had been out of the house for a while. Um, and they they never had a happy marriage in, in all of my years of being aware of their marriage. Uh, they They struggled. And so you'd think, well, it would sort of be a no big deal kind of a situation of like, it, it was terrible, then it was over. You know, there there ought to be a relief to that, but there isn't, or it wasn't for me. Uh, certainly there was a sense of, exactly as, as Matt's describing, of sort of sh- the shock of, I am a child of divorce. I I didn't, you know, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought I was past right. w- where I would need to worry about that. I think... Related to that, there's a a weird sense of disillusionment that I felt. I don't know if you're going through the same thing, but for me, I just kept playing back to all the old memories of like family vacations or Christmas morning, where it's like one big hat, you know, just, you know, we had all these kind of struggles, but there were moments where we were one big happy family and everyone got along. And then you start thinking, were these people just faking it and sort of lying their way through this and trying to create a reality that was false for me. And, um, you know, is, are all my happy memories based on a lie? And that's a heck of a thing to be hit with. As you begin to investigate that, you'll find it's way more complicated than that. That in many ways, those were happy memories, but they were just kind of, uh, still filtered through a world in which uh, mom and dad were having their struggles. Uh, But I think moving forward, these fellows have have really painted a really solid picture for you that I'd have you focus on in terms of boundaries. I think there's, there's a lot of good stuff there. Not taking signs in any sort of way. I don't want to hear any gripes about the other person. That's not what that is. Um, Also, I think inherent in what they're saying here is that this isn't your problem to solve. That's right. Uh, a key element of the Christian life is to know what stuff you need to be working on, what stuff you need to not be working on, who do you need to serve, and who needs to serve you. And uh, this is not a problem that you can fix, or, you know, it, it's it's also not your problem to deal with the fallout of it. 
the, the no one you, you didn't get a vote in this <laughs> and uh you know this is not uh this is two people deciding to change their their life and their lifestyle and those two people need to deal with the consequences of that uh this is not your problem to solve in that sense uh it, and i recognize that in some cases it's a it's a situation where one spouse wanted it and the other one didn't but you know we all know in you know the vast majority of divorce situations when you really get down to the nitty-gritty these were two people both contributing to a problem in a systemic situation so uh realistically uh they didn't want to solve the problem in the marriage they want but but now they need to solve the problems of their new single lives you can be a support to that you can be uh loving and caring in that but the thing you I would really help you kind of zero in on is you aren't the backup spouse to these two people. Come on Amen. Now. Uh you you aren't uh, you know I, I when when my parents got divorced my I think my sister tried to fill sort of a backup wifely type of role to my dad and you know my dad was you know wanting me to to uh, quote unquote take care of my mother in you know sort of uh, a, a a manly kind of way and for sure you know if, if you need me to come over and hammer a nail or, or something like that you know I'm, I'm happy to do that but uh you know y- you had an enabler and you divorced him so don't don't expect me to sign up for that that's uh, I, I never would sign up for that in the first place so you know uh, uh, it, it manage your expectations of someone filling in these roles that um, that are not appropriate for a child to fill in for their parent. And also oh. part of the problem that led to the situation that we're now coping with. Exactly right. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's appropriate to, to look at how can I be an encouragement and a support and, and a good Christian witness and all those different kinds of things, but within these very clear boundaries and put it in your mind, you're going to have to to set those boundaries. You're going to have to say that out loud. And that it's going to be, um, you know, in, in my case with my parents, it was, you know, well, I want to have Christmas over here, and they want to have Christmas over there, and whose Christmas are you coming to? And that was a point where, you know, I threw up my hands and said, I'm going to Vegas. Bye. And that was it. So... Guess what happens when you get a divorce? Sometimes you don't get bupkis. That's life, dude. You you, you didn't you didn't uh, get my vote on this, so you know I'm just going to do whatever I want right now. And uh, so, giving yourself that permission to say I'm not taking sides, and it's not my job to keep everybody happy, and it's not my problem to solve. That's that's all fantastic, fantastic stuff. So rarely in life is. I'm going to Vegas, the emotionally healthy decision <laughs> to make. And you really have to enjoy when that's the case. And that's that's all fantastic stuff from these guys. We're going to move on to our next question. This came in uh, with the first one, but there's there's a lot going on. I thought this was a really great uh, a topic to tackle on its own. So uh, the the person goes on to say, I'm trying not to be overcome by emotion. Any yet very between angry and sad and crying every other day. And it's been very, very difficult. Any advice to help me walk through this would be very much appreciated. Thank you so much. So uh, again, we, I think these guys did an amazing job dialing down some specifics of this 
situation and what goes on and, and the practical of that. And now I'd like us to kind of move more into what uh, Glenn was moving us through there with the, the emotional. And Jed, I'd love to get you to, to start us off on this aspect of it. Cause I really like uh, the idea and the, the concept this person gave us of I'm trying not to be overcome by emotion. Yeah. Which is one of the things it's, it is right. And it sounds very right. But I think we have to define that very carefully, or we're just going to go with, I need to totally ignore my emotions and do things that are bad for me. So what does it look like to process the emotion without being overcome by it? That's a great question. I think a, a big part of the answer is recognizing that no one can process heavy emotions 24 hours a day. There's Human beings are not built to do that, and no one can do that. Um, I think that that uh, particularly in this season in the world, there's a lot of temptation to try and do that, but uh, no one can pull that off. And uh, by contrast, of course, if we're looking for left and right limits, the other limit would be if we spend zero hours a day dealing with the heavy things that we'd rather not, well, that's probably not healthy either because that that is starting to get into a place of ignoring things that are going on and ignoring feelings that we have. So what we need are uh, really kind of two related skills. We, we need to be able to set time aside to look at and think through and process whatever these hard things are. You know, in the case of the question asker, this is, you know, the, the parents breakup. But I think that there's a lot of people who can relate to the sense right now of there's awful stuff going on and it's kind of overwhelming to me. So, you know, I'm, I'm setting aside time to actually deal with the stuff and how I feel about it and process through it. But the other skill that we need to develop is setting time aside every day to have a break from all of the emotional weight, to have a time where we are not carrying all of that emotional weight. And I think that that part is really, really important because um, it would be easy for Christians to say, well, that's, that's what my quiet time is, or that's what my Zoom Bible study is. And I would push back on that and say, it, it only works if it actually gives you that sense of break. There, there yeah. are things that are good and valuable and worth doing that also aren't actually giving you an emotional break, that are not giving you that time yeah. to just not carry any weight. So, yeah, I mean, if, if reading your Bible does that for you in the season, that's great. But if it doesn't, A, that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Uh, and B, we, we do need something else. And the key thing is what matters is the outcome. What matters is so that it gives you a sense of break. It doesn't matter past that what it is. It could be coloring books. It could be gardening. It could be video games. It could be meditation. It could be cooking. It doesn't make any difference as long as for you, this gives you a window of time where you are not carrying actively all of those heavy emotional burdens. And I, I think you need that sense of a break every day. Um, I, I think you would be shocked how much, how well you can endure if you have a rest period that gives you a break from the hard stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that the lack of, of a regular emotional rest is so hard in ways that we don't often acknowledge, but let's look very briefly at kind of the other side of this too, because this is important. This relates to the original question asker, but. It also relates to the rest of us that are struggling with being overcome by emotions. And that is to ask, do you have a sense of what makes this worse? Do you have a sense of the things that you are exposed to that inflame all of these emotions? And 
if we have a sense of those things, do we know how to get less exposure to them? Mm. So in the case of the question answer, um, that might mean um, muting texts from your mom and dad after a certain time of night because you just don't want to deal with this, you know, 30 minutes before you go to bed. That's your prerogative, dude. You can you can absolutely do that. That that might mean not checking your email after a certain point in the day because again, you just don't want to get this stuff. For the rest of us that are that are dealing with other things, that could mean less time on social media. Um, because at this point, Facebook is just a cesspool. So um I mean it is. So giving yourself permission to not only to have a break in a sense of I'm I'm whatever it is cooking, coloring, meditating, whatever, and I'm not carrying on sweat, but also I am limiting my exposure to the stuff that is trying to add more weight to begin with. I am I am shutting that down or at least lessening the impact to the extent that I can. I think that again, if we can keep from just saying, you know, I'm never ever going to engage with these emotions because that's not healthy, but if we can give ourselves a break every day and find ways to at least lessen how much more new stuff's getting put on our shoulders. I think that'll probably help quite a little bit. I think that's absolutely right. I agree with everything Jed said there, particularly the Facebook part. Let's be honest, <laughs> uh, but all, all really good stuff on this. And Glenn, let me get you pick us up here because uh, Jed is absolutely right about kind of the needing to take out the burden of feeling those emotions. But also I think in that is a lot of us have a tendency to maybe assume that there are some emotions we're feeling that are naughty and wrong. Yeah. And we need to push through those. So, you know, the, yeah. the person mentions, I have sadness and I have anger. A lot of us feel pretty comfortable with sadness, but maybe want to shortchange that anger and just really not yeah. deal with that. Cause we know that's not, you know, it's, it's on the face of it. You know, how could you be angry at someone for getting divorced? That doesn't make any sense. Right. So I need to just not deal with that. So how do we go about giving those emotions their due and doing the processing of them when their emotions we're not necessarily comfortable with. Well, I, I, it's a great question and, and, and really on point because you, you'll find yourself saying, you know, you, you divorced each other, but you kind of, uh, you know, unparented me here and on a certain level, you've, you've, you've wrecked my happy home. And, um, then you feel guilty because it's not really that that's not really the totality of what's happening there. And then you get angry about, you know, well, you know, you guys could have worked on it, but then you didn't. And then, you know, that's the thing about angry anger. When you're dealing with anger is, I don't know if you're like this, but for me, when I get angry, I can think of 500,000 different reasons to be angry about a thing. So I can sort of blow off one, but the next one comes. It's like the, the tissue paper. You just another <laughs> one pops up, you know. Uh, that, so that's a that's a good reason to kind of look at anger and uh, and interrogate it and and investigate it and say, okay, what do I think about this anger? I have the right to be angry about some of this, even if the logic isn't uh, real solid. Uh, also, I don't need to judge my emotions at all. Um, that's not going to help me work through them, you know, so I, you know, I, I can just give myself permission to say, I'm angry. I know it. I know some of it doesn't hold up logically, but I know I have it coming to me. Uh, but I think it's about asking this question, how has this situation changed 
How does this divorce situation change your freedom to bless yourself, to make yourself happy, to have a happy life of your own, to have healthy relationships of your own, and to help other people who are struggling and, and to participate in life? I think we have a way of looking at what's going on in the news, or we look at what's going on in the culture. Uh, you know, we, we might have a stressful situation at work, and we start thinking, we get angry about all these things, but we sort of get angry in a way like, this is limiting my options and keeping me from being able to have things and opportunities, and it's not. This is not this is not limiting your life in any kind of way, but anger kind of gets us feeling like that. Like I'm in a box and I, I need to break out of this box because I, I want to, uh, you know, I want to live a full and healthy life, but my parents got divorced. That probably means I'm getting divorced. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a, a sense of, uh, uh, I'm being held back by this. That I think that's the anger is driving us to that, but we don't interrogate that. So, it's worth looking at that. Um, I think this is also a time to find your own walk with the Lord. Here's the thing is if you were raised in a Christian home and then your Christian parents who always talked about the sanctity of marriage are now getting divorced, you may feel a little bit of your foundations being rocked off of that. Uh, here's the thing about that is uh, when you, so to speak, inherit your Christianity from your parents, it is a good and right and healthy thing for you to take a time in your life, like, for example, right the heck now, to pull up and say, I'm not having my parents' Christianity. I, I, that's not a thing I really can do. It's not a thing I should try to do. I have my own relationship with God. And let me kind of briefly flesh that out, because I think when I say have your own Christianity, whatever you might be thinking in doctrinal terms. I think that's a big mistake for a lot of us when we talk about our relationship with God is to think its health or its lack of health rises and falls on uh, doctrinal principles, you know, uh, that if I, if I question these doctrinal principles, that means I have a bad relationship with the Lord. I think you have a bad relationship with the Lord when it's not authentic, when it's not real, when it's, when it's not your own, and when you're not living into it. But also, you know, when I when the Lord speaks to me, and when He does, He speaks to me in English, and um, that means the Lord deals with me a specific sort of way. He doesn't speak to me in Swahili or Mandarin or Spanish because I don't speak those. I I, I don't speak any of those languages. I, I I sort of try to speak one of them, but uh, you know there. God is speaking to me in a language that I can understand because he's having a totally unique and individual relationship with me. So finding your own journey in all of this and saying, this is a point where um, I'm, I'm finding sort of an adulthood and an independence that I never had before. And to, to celebrate that is a good thing. And to give yourself permission to, 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 use that freedom to recognize I want to have my own relationship, my own way. And I, I need to be not riding the coattails of my parents. That's all excellent stuff. And Lee, I'd love, love to get you to close us out here. What can we add to this conversation about 
uh, honestly experiencing and dealing with the emotions we're going through here, but I really like this idea of not being overwhelmed by them in, in a real sense, in the way that Glenn's talking about here, letting those negative emotions take over our entire life. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you from my experience, and I, you know, especially learning that we're, we're dealing with the same question asker, and, and I, I really love how when Jeb was talking about this, he, he pointed out ways in which this, what we're talking about, applies to the specific question asker and to everyone else. I also love the idea of Jed pitching a new byline for Facebook, which is just, what was it? The uh, digital, <laughs> digital <Accessible>. cesspool. <laughs> Want to bathe in the awful? Tune in to cesspool.com slash the bridge Chicago every Tuesday at seven 30. <laughs> I like that. I like that pitch as well. Um, but you know, if I could for just a second, speak specifically to the question asker again, um, some of this will apply broadly as well, but I remember, I remember a time where, um, my mother gave me, um, an old, uh, photo album from our family growing up. And, um, when I opened the, you know, I, di- I didn't open the photo album until I was alone and she had left and gone back to the city where she lived. I opened the photo album and I had just a, a volcano of sadness. Um, and it was exactly what Glenn's talking about uh, in the first question of, you know, seeing the pictures of, you know, Christmases and stuff like that. I remember specifically the photo that, that did it. There was a picture of my mother and me uh, slow dancing after dinner to a, a song that she had put on the record player. Uh, some of you hipsters will know what one of those is. And uh, we were slow dancing to a song, and I was probably 14, and um, and I just emotionally collapsed. And my first reaction was, I'm going to close this photo album. I'm never going to look at it again, because that was a horrible experience. Um, what wound up happening later was that I, at a time where I felt a little more ready for it, I opened the photo album on purpose, and I entered into that, uh, into that state of, I'm going to work through this. The thing that I found was that there was a catharsis to feeling those things. Um, there is a temptation that we all have to like be so in control of ourselves that I don't feel any more than I want to. I don't feel any more than I need to. I can tell you that I'm fine when I'm not. Um, and then I can control my own reality. What I've found to be more helpful in my walk with the Lord and in my emotional health goes a whole lot closer to what where Glenn just took us, which is I have found in my own personal relationship with the Lord that there are times in in situations where emotions could be overwhelming that I will enter into those and I will engage the Lord in that. The way the scripture talks about this is in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, cast your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. Um, in other words, there, there are things that are emotions that are too big for me to handle. They will overwhelm me. Um, but I've got a, I got a partner in those. I got a friend in those. I can engage my relationship with the Lord uh, in a way that I can ask him, I'm going to I don't want to I don't want to tamp this down. I don't want to pretend that I'm not feeling this sadness today about my parents' divorce or about the home that I grew up in. 
I'm going to engage this for the catharsis of moving through it, doing the mourning. And by the way, when you move through some of this stuff, when you see some old photographs, when time hop hits you on the digital cesspool and shows you a memory from when your parents were together and your family was a quote unquote happy family, you will feel a sense of overwhelming. And then in the individuality of your relationship with the Lord, um, ask him to walk through that with you and say, I'm going to throw this on your shoulders. Basically, I'm asking you to piggyback me through this situation because I, I don't like the idea of pretending we're uh, strong enough to not feel. I don't like the idea yeah. of pretending there's nothing I have to deal with. I don't like the idea of ignoring um, uncomfortable things because I just can't face it. I do like the idea of asking the infinite God to walk with me through some cathartic mourning. Mourning is not a bad thing. It's a hard thing. It doesn't feel good. But there's some really good feeling on the other side of that. And I don't tell you that as somebody uh, who's thinking about that in a theoretical space. I'm telling you that as somebody who's walked through the grief of my own uh, understanding of what our happy family was. What's really interesting is... The, the Lord was kind to give me a little sister in our family, and she and I walk each other through this stuff, and we hold each other up. She's the only one that can understand things, uh, some things in the way that I can. And, um, and I, I call on her, and we walk through these things together. We, we walk into the darkness together, and we come out of the tunnel. And what I'm saying is, that in the individuality of the relationship with the Lord that you're starting to discover, especially off of the things that Glenn was just saying, to ask him to piggyback you through those things too. Um, there's some really healthy mourning that can be done. And, um, and, and this is for everybody, not just our question asker, but to ask him and to figure out what it means practically to cast your cares on him, to ask him to help you walk through these things. So that we're not tamping them down. We're not ignoring them. We're not pretending we're strong enough to deal with everything. We're going with him through that process. That is all really, really excellent stuff. And it's it's definitely worth pointing out here. If you don't have someone like a sibling or like, you know, a close family member or someone who is close enough to the situation to know the exact same thing you're going through, this is one of those many situations where a counselor, a support group, uh, a therapist, someone who deals with this professionally or a group of people who are going through a similar thing can really be worth its weight in gold. There are some definitely, as these guys have pointed out, some things that are totally 100% unique to your situation, but there's also a lot of things that are going to be common across a lot of people's experiences. And it can be very, very helpful to talk to someone who, even if they, you think they only get 10% of what you're going through, that can be a very, very helpful thing. Other than that, these guys gave you a lot, a lot of great stuff. And if, as always, you have follow-ups, you have more questions, something you want us to dig into more, please do feel free to contact us, and we would love to talk more. We're going to move on to our final question for this week. It comes in anonymously, and it says, There are some things really bothering me about the Jerry Falwell situation. The first is that the salacious tabloid stuff is what people seem to actually care about, not all the other awful stuff he has done and said. The other thing is, he will still be rich and famous after this. He almost certainly won't be prosecuted for anything, and he will get a quote-unquote forgiveness come back in the Christian world soon. Am I being judgmental or wrong? 
how do I not let this drive me crazy? And we start off with really a world of expert and not letting uh, Christian nonsense <laughs> drive us crazy. I turn to one Glenn Fitzgerald. There, there's a little bit of sarcasm to that, and rightly so. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, I want to start. Uh, uh, first of all, I feel exactly how you feel about this. So you you don't. Uh, I'm I'm going to try and get us both off of it. Um, but uh, I'm I'm in it with you. Uh, here's my first big picture question. We're going to take a whole different. You know, we're going to pull the focus back and look at this from from a, a wider point of view. Do you really, prior to to all of this happening, the salacious stuff as you mentioned, did you really think of of Jerry Falwell Jr. as a Christian. Um, that I'm not inviting you to judge whether you think he believes in Jesus in his heart. Um, I'm just saying, did you think of him as an active, uh, participating Christian? I mean, you thought of him as a Christian leader, and I'm not sure that that is true or means anything. Um. I mean, who is he leading? What is he leading? How does that work? I mean, is he discipling people, leading people to the Lord? Is he counseling with people, discipling and mentoring and whatever? Uh, uh, here's the thing. There's two different, as we've talked about in the podcast before, there's two definitions of what is Christian. Uh, the first definition is someone who says that they uh, subscribe to uh, the beliefs that are broadly accepted as Christianity. Um, that's a fine definition. I, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm, I'm not going to argue that at all with anybody. You can define Christian however you want. It's also true that that is not a biblical definition of Christianity. Uh, the biblical definition is not a person who claims that they have a belief. A biblical definition of a Christian is a person who is walking with God, following Jesus in a way that you can see fruit, to use a New Testament language, to, to, to see that fruit is happening as a result of that relationship, transform, transforming that person from the inside out. So does it mean that there's never bad stuff? Uh, it means that a person who once was greedy is now becoming more charitable. Uh, it means a person who once was very selfish is becoming a bit more unselfish in certain ways. And we can see that, we can detect it. Uh, so for me, if somebody says they're a Christian, my response to that generally is, okay, that could be. I, I, I accept that that's a possibility. I generally tend to think that means you were raised by Christians and you think of yourself as subscribing to certain things, which is okay, but it doesn't. that's not what a Christian is to me. Uh, it's not my right to judge or define that for other people. I'm just saying, when I see you helping someone less fortunate than yourself, that's the moment I begin to think of you as Christian. Uh, if I don't see you doing that, it's just like, who's this guy? And I would really invite you to take on that viewpoint. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. describes the evangelical leader. Um, I again. I didn't. I know a lot of people in in Christian circles. I don't think I ever heard his name before 2016. So, you know, I, I think uh, let's give ourselves permission to say I'm on an entirely different thing from from this guy 
<laughs> and I was from the beginning. You know, it's not like he suddenly departed from something that we had in common. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the other thing I want to quickly address, and I'll send it around to these other fellows, is this part where we we are a little dismayed uh, about, um, you know, a, a golden parachute where he's getting millions of dollars for uh, really, really, bless his heart, for really, really, really sucking. Uh, here, here's the thing on that. Uh, we were talking, uh, myself and some of the uh, bridge pastors in my backyard, we had to little uh, uh, backyard gathering there and and we're sitting and we're we're talking about the twilight zone and uh, of, of all things and there was an episode of that that sprung to my mind when we're we're looking at this and the the episode is um a guy who's like a a bank robber uh gets uh shot and he wakes up in this strange place and there's a man in a nice white suit sort of gray-haired bearded man uh who's very you know has a very regal bearing and um uh you know says you know uh i'm here to give you whatever you want and the bank robber says well give me all your money and so he you know reaches in, into his pocket and gives him all the money he's like well what else you got he's like well what else do you want he's like well i want a million dollars and so he says go to that desk and open the desk and there's a million dollars in the desk <clears throat> And slowly but surely, he starts to realize that he has died, and he is in a place where he can get anything that he wants. So he goes, uh, because he's this kind of guy, he says, I want to go to the casino and gamble. And so he goes to the casino, and he wins. He, He wins every single thing he bets on, and he has this giant pile of money, and he starts to enjoy it less and less because it doesn't mean anything and so he actually goes to the kindly bearded uh, uh man in the white suit and says uh you know i'm not enjoying it because i used to lose some of the time and that <clears throat> kind of gave me the spice to this and the guy says i can arrange for you to lose and he's like well wait a second if i know that you're arranging it then that still doesn't mean anything he says you know what i'm bored with this heaven of yours I want to go to the other place. And that's when the kindly bearded uh, man turns to him and says, you're not in heaven. You're in the other place. Mm. So this is, I think, really illustrative of this kind of situation. You think that uh, having all these things that you want would get you to a place of happiness. A Christian viewpoint is this, that you give up everything that you want in order to get something that's beyond price. Like you found this treasure hidden in a field and you gave up everything to lay hold of something that's way beyond price. That's where joy and happiness and fulfillment comes from, not in getting these physical desires that we have met on on a grotesquely uh, huge scale that ultimately is meaningless. It's a really, really strong place to start. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there and Lee, I'd love you to, to pick us up here because one of the things I don't want to skip over in our question askers uh, uh, question here is these are legitimate and good things to be pissed about. And they do reveal something about kind of the, the world we're working with here. And while it does make sense to be angry about that, it also is an opportunity to learn some stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, de- definitely. The I, I would come in on a very similar note to where Glenn came on, which is, 
uh, I'm pissed about this same stuff too. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think one of the things that happens to me when stuff like this happens, it gives me a renewed energy to do a lot of vetting over who my influencers are. Yeah. Um, I, there, there's a thing that happened when I was growing up as a, as a believer in Jesus and growing up in church. Um, basically there seemed this kind of like endless tether that people would give to the guys who said they were Christians and wrote a book. It was like, if you are some pastor of some church and you wrote a book, then everybody thinks it's awesome and everybody thinks you're awesome. And now we're all listening to you now. We'll listen Mm. to you. Tell us how to raise our kids. We'll listen to you. Tell us how to vote. We'll listen to you. Tell us how to do everything in life. Um, And one of the things that I'm, that I have been steadily realizing over the past 20 years is why did we listen to that guy? Yep. Wait, mm-hmm. why, why did, why did that guy, just cause he wrote a book, why does that guy get to tell us how to raise our kids? Uh, how are his kids? Um, do we get to hear from his kids at any point? What was his, what would his kids say to us? Were we to interview them? That's what I'd like to know now. Um, in other words, I think believers in Jesus need to have a very stingy vetting process over who gets the right to tell them anything. We need to have more discernment, y'all. And mm. not that not that not that a lot of the folks uh listening to the sound of our voices right now was like I really just love Jerry Falwell Jr. I I doubt that's the case. Um if that is the case, please write in because I am fascinated. By you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, you know, our question asker is very astute in saying, "Hey, this is only the latest in a long line of things that should have disqualified this dude from speaking for Christians a long time ago." And we're right with you on that. But what I'm saying is that believers in general, just because. Uh, just because some work was featured in Christianity Today, just because some pastor wrote it, just because this person has uh, you know, 7,000 people coming to their megachurch or whatever, that doesn't mean that you need to sign on to all the stuff that they're saying. Um, as we've yeah. said often on this show, and as Glenn was just saying a few minutes ago, show me your life. Show me what you're doing. Um, show me how your relationship with Jesus is lived out. Um, the older I get, and uh, there's a chance that my, you know, 20 year old self would have felt like this was jaded in some way, but no, it's actually wisdom. The older I get, the VIP list of people that I listen to gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, and there are people that I have their phone numbers, and they will text me back. Um, guys, famous Christians. Doesn't mean anything. And so let's be really, really serious and really, really stingy and really choosy about who we let have a voice in our life. That is an excellent, excellent place to take that. And Jed, where would we close this discussion out? Well, we're on your side. We, we agree with you. Um, let's, let's add in just a couple of details. Uh, first thing that we want to add in, and, and I want to come in right where Lee was leaving off, is... Anyone famous 
their job all day, every day is to keep on being famous. Right. Anyone who's famous. So that's a famous singer, famous celebrity, famous Christian. Their job is to be famous. That, that is the job all day, every day. And they have a team of people helping them to continue to be famous all day, every day. But so, wait, Jed, aren't some people just famous because they're just so awesome? No, it's very much the opposite of that. <laughs> oh. So, like, if you, you know, if, if you wanted someone who is really, really good at something, like, you know, discipleship, you would want to find someone who's actually just doing discipleship as opposed to someone who's splitting their time between discipleship and trying to be famous. Wait, Jed, what if they are just famous and then they just put the word discipleship on the cover of a book even though they've never actually discipled anybody? Should I read that book about discipleship? You should not. You should definitely definitively not read that book. I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we had this discussion. So that's that's the thing with, with the fame. But I would offer, offer a couple things for you to look at, and um, you don't have to go with me on these, but, but these are the things that um, I turn to in my own frustration with all this kind of nonsense. The first is, and I, I need you to hear me out on this, Jerry Falwell's life is its own punishment. Amen. And I want you to think about that for a second. You want something bad to happen to him. That's what's in your question. I don't judge you for that. I feel the same way. I'm not sure that that's the most Christian thing in the world, but I feel the same way. But here's the thing. There's nothing bad that's going to happen to him that would ultimately be more grindingly worse than the stuff he is currently doing to himself. Right. And I think that we have a sense that it really, it really pisses us off when we feel like people are getting away with it. And I think if you take a more holistic view of what life experience is like, I think very few people are getting away with much of anything. They may have a lot of money. That doesn't mean that they're living a life that they feel good about. That doesn't mean they like who they see when they look in the mirror. Dude, if you don't have any self-respect, you don't have anything. I, I really want you to think about that for a second. If you don't have any self-respect, you don't have anything. I don't care how much money you have. And when you've lived a life that has made you an international laughingstock and a, the butt of the joke for all time, um, and you have brought shame to the thing that you at least purport to believe, that, that your family purports to believe, um, that is miserable. That is a pitiable state to be in. And that, of course, does nothing to deal with all of the countless suffering that he's caused, but, but we'll get to that in a second. Just in terms of justice being done and something bad happening to the guy, the guy has made a miserable life for himself. Mm. And I think we say, yeah, but he's, he's still got all the money. Here's the thing about that. I've had a weird life. I've known a lot of rich people, and I mean really rich people, people with uh, as much and sometimes more money than Jerry Falwell Jr., Almost none of the people that I have known that have that kind of money are happy with it. Almost none Amen. of the people that I've known that have that kind of money know what to do with it or even enjoy it. I'm not even talking yeah. about making the world a better place. I mean, just basic enjoyment of it. The, the, right. I've, there's a, a thing that has become a running joke in between Hallie and I, which is Ferrari drivers with the most miserable expression on their face I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of of dude, uh, it's like the, it's like the board model. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. 
So in terms of Jerry Falwell, and again, you don't have to go with me on this. This is just, this is what I think. And you ask, so there you go. And I actually think that there is comfort in that. But now here's the next part is you want revenge on Jerry Falwell. And I don't disagree with you. Here's how you get revenge. Live a good life. Mm. The best revenge is living right. This dude made money off of trying to make you afraid. Don't be afraid. This dude made money off of trying to make you be angry. Don't be angry. This dude made money off of selling you a distorted version of Christianity that was choked and fearful and terrible. Live a good version of Christianity. There is no greater revenge than you living a life that makes it clear to another person that they failed. That their attempts to put you down completely failed. So for you, don't be afraid. Be generous. Develop a great married sex life, something that Jerry Falwell Jr. clearly does not have and probably will never have. Do that. And now, if you really want to make that revenge complete, if you really want to go just, you know, full movie with it, teach other people how to do the same thing. There you go. Teach other people how to live a life that is unafraid, that is generous that is satisfied in the context of a godly relationship. Teach other people how to be free. There is nothing that you could do to strike a greater blow for freedom than that. Worrying about how much his life does or doesn't suck, not only does that not help you, it doesn't help anybody else. And critically, it keeps him at the center of attention, which is the one thing he wants more than anything else. Ignore him and let his name be forgotten. Go live a life that you feel good about and that God feels good about, and then help other people do the same thing. Say that, dude. That mm. is a fantastic place to end that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, if you want to keep that entirely anonymous. I think there's a very appropriate song to take us out with, given uh, what we've discussed in the end. It also reminds me, of the leftover WAP joke I have in the beginning segment, <laughs> which is I want I want to give you all this gift, which is imagine Joe Osteen saying the words wealth and prosperity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the song yeah. we're gonna take out this none other than the Poolhouse Givers take on Psalm twenty four one. Yes. You will see why I chose it in very short Great time. One. Thanks so much for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, sending out a message specifically to my wife. Do not Google WAP and follow the YouTube link. Repeat, do not. Yeah. (laughs) Please, please. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Except the stuff that's mine, right? Because that stuff is mine, so. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Except the stuff that's mine. If you say so. Earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Except the stuff that's mine. That stuff is mine. There was a rich man, and his land produced a hearty crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. Hallelujah. Then he said, this is what I'll do. Thank you, Jesus. I will tear down my barns and build bare woods. Earth is the
plenty of grain stored away for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have yourself a good old time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That stuff is mine. My earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The stuff that's mine. That stuff is mine. Starting to verse 13. You can trust me. What I lied to you? Probably not. 